Hello, my name is Flick Beckett and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast proudly sponsored by Kia, the champion of independent cinema nationwide. On today's show, we chat with director Mark Mylod, Emmy and BAFTA winning for his work on Succession and Game of Thrones, about his latest feature, The Menu, starring Ray Fiennes. We were also lucky enough to catch up with both Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt to discuss their roles as guests Margot and Tyler in Chef Slowick's Sinister Island Restaurant. Welcome to Hawthorne. It'll be our pleasure to feed you. Over the next few hours, you will ingest fat, salt, protein, and at times, entire ecosystems. Are you crying? <laughs> it's just I find it all very moving. So it's okay that I'm not as into this as you are? Oh my god. You shouldn't be here tonight. You, my dear guests, are not the common man. Isn't that right? Nature is timeless. I love you all. We love you too, sir! Any questions? Hello, Felicity. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Mark. How are you doing? Why, thank you. Yeah, just waking up now, actually. I'm on New York time, so I just feel, ah, I can string a sentence together, maybe. Lovely. Oh, I was told you were just coming back from lunch, so it's actually breakfast that you've done. Exactly, that. exactly. A nice little cl- club sandwich breakfast. Yep. Nice, nice. Can you give us a little audio look through the window of Chef Slovik's extraordinary food concept or restaurant island? <laughs> well, let me tell you what I what what the menu is about. Um, it, it, superficially, at least, the the menu is about this incredibly uh, gifted, world class, world famous chef. Chef Slovak, who's played by Ray Fiennes, um, who has this extraordinary restaurant on a, uh, where he lives reclusively with his staff on an island. And he invites 12 specially curated guests um, to this very special tasting menu and basically mayhem ensues. So that's the, the kind of genre setup for, for a film, which I hope is actually also a great cinematic fun ride. Um, 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 what I love about it beyond that is how kind of thick the brew is in that you can then view and experience the film through a number of different prisms. The, the film could also equally be viewed as a story about um, Margot, a, a, a fish out of water, a last minute replacement for one of guests. Margot is played by the brilliant Anya Taylor-Joy. And uh, Anya's character comes to the island and, uh, and is massively unimpressed by by the pretensions and uh, of the cuisine and, and the whole experience that she sees before her, and then finds herself in basically an almost kind of escape room duel to to try and escape from from the restaurant that night. Uh, and, and then beyond that, there's what I hope are some really interesting things that one might or might not to go away and chew on with uh, after viewing the film um, I see the restaurant itself this incredibly beautiful high-end restaurant with their with this open plan kitchen which has probably more cooks working in the kitchen though our diners in the dining room but I see that somewhat as a, as a microcosm of society on some level there is that satirical edge to the to the entitlement and, and, and ego and pretensions of, of of both the diners and actually of Chef Slowick and and, uh, and for me, the, the heart of the film, if you like, actually becomes this somewhat idealistic, but also more literal duel 
between Chef Sloic and Margot as uh, as she tries to manipulate a way to her own freedom. Uh, and in all the conflict between them in those scenes, there was also this deep, deep connection of, of two characters who who intuit the other's pain. Uh, and that to me is the soul of the film and uh, actually a big draw for why I wanted to get involved in the first place. So uh, that's interesting, yes, because it for me, the overall picture, I guess, it, for me, it felt like a cultural end of days kind <laughs> of thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, and thank you for articulating it for me, basically. <laughs> you know, yes, I, I, I'm almost thrown by you bringing up the human element of it all in this in this in the satirizing of that world and the skewering of the the pretensions of that world i think a lot of the reasons i'm attracted to projects is with that perhaps kind of higher concept satirical bent but my approach is is much more through the individual humans particularly the human flaws i, I think that's particularly true of succession for instance where um that i show that i've I'm a producer on and direct for, for HBO. And in that show, we have a, a, a same kind of satirical bent and a, a, and a blend of dark comedy. And they're also not obviously the genre element that we have in the menu. Um, but it's the flaws of those characters that I find so interesting to explore and not to forgive, but but to, to contextualize how, how those characters are there. And, and in the menu is that you have a dining room full of such flawed characters who are, are really fun to, to, to kind of twist the knife on. But I also think that, uh, and this is where actually Bunuel's film, The Exterminating Angel, was such a huge influence for me in making the menu. I think there is a, a lovely journey that our diners go on uh, of a sense of, of dawning culpability for, for their place, an almost kind of conscious kind of... Uh, sense of guilt as they're as under chef's guidance if you like um they become stripped of their more stripped of their vanities of their egos and are stripped down to this kind of more basic vulnerable state to this more childish innocence i suppose and i found that journey really fascinating throughout the film for the, for the whole dining room to experience together it was a massive treat that we were able to shoot the film almost entirely chronologically so so with the cast we were able to kind of calibrate that and take that journey together and a lot of it was improvised wasn't it so i did think did this did the cast know the journey they were on completely did that or did you fill them in as they went along no we did i didn't go quite that literal with the, the kind of mike lee sense of uh let's okay. see <laughs> it was more structured and and, and there, as you say there was a lot of improv but um but i but i wouldn't want to take away from the brilliance of will and Seth's writing that you know 90 percent of the film is is a brilliantly structured piece of writing which is why it was on the blacklist you know um it's a really wonderfully constructed script what my or our method of working enabled us to do was just to explore beyond that and give give the right kind of very specific tone that I felt the the piece needed. I'm a huge fan of Robert Altman and uh, and his way of working, which I've got, a, I suppose, a bit more confident about employing recently as I've tried to make perhaps a few more kind of bold choices in my work. Uh, and here I, I am building the cast with the brilliant Mary Vernu, casting director, specifically went after actors who who would be into this way of working where basically the ensemble the whole cast come onto set at the beginning of the day and they stay till the end of the day everybody is miked all the time um and particularly in the dining room scenes the everybody can talk over each other and that's where a lot of the improv came from in that even though okay the foreground may be 
a conversation that's scripted at this table, but I also wanted um, to be able to throw focus almost in a kind of Darwinian sense. If, if there's something interesting happening in the improv at the other tables, I wanted the ability to monitor that uh, orally and actually, you know, throw focus with the camera to find that, to capture that moment. And what that did, I, for me, the benefits of, of Altman's methods, when you've got a group scene like that, you know, and he employed it beautifully, in my opinion, in Gosford Park, for instance, um, it keeps everything so alive. You don't have that slightly stilted um, conversation here, and that ends in a conversation ends here. It bleeds over each other. There's a, a naturalistic messiness to that. And yet, you know, part of the challenge in the menu was to keep that. It still had to be through the prism of, of, of the chef's slowic experience, which, of course, is incredibly specific and curated. So I tried to keep this loose entitlement and, and energy and, and effervescence and freshness in the dining room which of course will soon go on a on a slide down into into mayhem um but keep that in, in photographically very structured so that we always view the entire experience of watching the movie is as curated by it's almost as if chef slowick directed the film it has to be through his uh with with his metronome and his specificity of, of photography yes it was Utterly unchaotic, definitely, you know, in, in a way that, you know, sometimes you, you, I love that free form of Altman's films, you know, where you just don't quite know where it's going. There's definitely the discipline in this, which was very much part of the aesthetic, of course, and the story, you know. So tell me about Ray Fiennes and bringing, because he, that was a perfect piece of casting. Um, yeah, it's, it's like you can't, I can't imagine anybody else. I never could actually imagine anybody else playing the role, we went straight after Rafe. Um, it really, there was no, it was like, we gotta get Rafe. Um, and everybody, you know, was on board, Adam Search, like the whole gang. Um, so so we sent off, Rafe was attached in a previous incarnation of, of the script back when Alexander Payne was due to direct the script. Um, but uh, that that kind of, that version of the film fell apart for various reasons. And, and uh, but he was my first call when I got involved with the project and just had one of those glorious, meetings where fundamentally we both came at the, at the character from the same place neither of us wanted a psycho what we wanted was an artist in pain uh consumed with self-loathing for for the choices he's made you know where, where his art has been perverted and distorted by by his ego by his relationship with his financiers all, all, all uh an augmentation of all the bad choices that we ourselves have made in our lives and in our uh, and in our careers which are, you know hopefully is relatable to pretty much everybody on some level and when when we took that poignance and self-loathing of this character who feels like he's come to the end of his road and sees no other choice but to you know blow everything up uh, figuratively um then uh that just created a it created a really meaty character because as a chef, he's also a performance artist. Uh, he, he's also a dictator, a, a cult leader. Um, and, and of course, with all that rich brew, Rafe's kind of unique secret sources, he's also able to be absolutely hilarious, um, and that, which is so difficult to do without becoming too absurdist, without becoming too broad. And, and he could just find that specificity of tone and and that was the same really with all the cast we, we were trying to kind of thread the needle with a very small target of uh of you know, satire comedy and thriller and uh and we all found that and tuned into it 
You did. You, and and Ray Fiennes is, uh, that's why I think the, the casting was so perfect because you're never, he's, he, he maintains that inscrutability, mm. but with deep vulnerability. So you yeah. do connect to him. You think he's not a monster. Mm. We know he's not, but yeah. what is he? What's going on here? And I loved that. I didn't, I couldn't fathom it. Mm. It's really. uh, that that central debate between Cheslerk and 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 Margot, you know, a light and a darkness as a reductive mm. version of it. But um, th what I loved is I find both arguments equally compelling. I, I completely see the world through Margot's eyes, and uh, but I completely understand, as you say, with Cheslerk's argument from in his world, it, what he's doing it makes complete sense. Yes, and so tell me about the menu and the crafting of the menu. I mean, that must have taken years. <laughs> <laughs> really quite literally um, um, the, the first thing did the with um you know the, in the work that i've done that's been you know more satirical the, one of the big truths for me is to be as authentic as possible and and that became almost an obsession for all of us on, on the menu um and the first thing to do when one wants to be authentic is to get the right people in you know hence getting peter deming and his art you know cinematography he knows that genre element for that ride that we wanted to as the overall kind of cinematic experience and um, you know having worked with literally the kind of greatest horror directors in the world who has worked with Wes Craven, Sam Raimi etc um back to Mulholland Drive is an absolute master of, of capturing tension within a frame so first of all we had the right cinematographer for the whole mise-en-scene um beyond that the first thing I did was send a script to Dominique Crenn this uh a brilliant chef. Um, she's the first and I think still the only woman in America to have three Michelin stars. Um, I sent the script to Dominique, uh, hoping that she would bite. She did. She loved it. She came aboard as our, to basically design and enhance and augment our menu. Uh, and, and as a collaborator, she came across to our set and did a one week boot camp with a brilliant local chef, John Ben Hayes in Savannah, Georgia, where we shot. Um, she brought Wan, her business partner and together they worked with Kendall our food stylist and the whole team worked with our 15-20 cooks in the kitchen uh the on-set kitchen and basically put them through a boot camp so that everything that they did to, in, in the kitchen was was authentic to what should be happening at that stage of this particular tasting menu so that way we had absolute authenticity because we literally did have one of the world's greatest chefs help and going through these various iterations of each course okay can it be more sculptural can this version be more can we uh have more color in the palette whatever it may be she she would then work with her with her collaborators until we'd had what we thought was the perfect exquisitely curated but ultimately slightly emotional cold emotionally cold menu so so that we could so she she in effect could again play the character of chef slurk and design this uh beautiful but cold menu for the for the movie and also it was it was kind of full of wickedness and trickery as mm. well like designed to humiliate and um yeah. and discombobulate mm. the guests and that's what I really loved about sort of uh, as the viewer you sort of think you know how willing are people to pay for this probably <laughs> 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 very willing indeed uh, uh, that, only the, the skewering of that you know that level of entitlement and uh, and ego and the, the the elevated cultural experience that becomes denatured to the point of just being about ego really that that's you know obviously where we're poking which isn't obviously you know we're using the theater of the restaurant obviously to, to manifest that but obviously that is you know one can extend that to pretty much any art form can't one and and uh it, it's 
it's amazing to me that one you know that hasn't quite been done in the, in the restaurant sense before obviously the going right back to the cook the thief the wife and her love and his lover uh, that goes back uh that history goes back a long way but this this to me it just feels to me when i read the script as what this feels so unique and wonderful and i can't believe i haven't seen it before i you know it's one of those um most of all what i love about the film is i think it as i said earlier i think it has that hopefully human and also satirical bite but all wrapped up in this genre package which makes it tremendous fun to watch i think it does and also what i need to discuss because this is a cinema podcast it's incredibly cinematic and I have to insist that everybody goes to the cinema to see <laughs> this film. So I'm hoping that you can embellish my plea to the nation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, well, first of all, on, you know, an essential experience of going to, you know, being in Toronto for the for the premiere of the film at the Toronto Film Festival and seeing a, a, a film like this, you know, with a many hundreds of people that that a room full of people is just a total joy and i promise or at least i hope not on an ego level but on just a, that collective experience of just being entertained in the in the in the most wonderful and feeding off the audience i know it's a well-worn cliche of course it's the it's the universal argument for cinema and uh, uh but uh, it's the first time i've really directly felt it in my soul you know in, in something that i've worked on so first of all Yes, you know, post-pandemic, let's get back into theatres and just enjoy that together as a society. Um, beyond that, you know, the particular plea for the menu as to why it deserves your time at the cinema is because it is almost a paradox, really. A lot of the film is actually set in the one space, this extraordinarily beautiful jewel box of a of, of a of a restaurant designed by the Berlin Teeth and Todman, um, and in conjunction with, of course, Dominique Crenn, who, who put a kind of stamp onto the authenticity of the design, but wonderful design from Ethan, which touchstones to many of the great restaurants in the world, to Noma in Copenhagen, to El Bui in Spain, uh, a Linear in Chicago, we, we, there's a French French Laundry, they're, they're all in there, little Easter eggs for those that want to seek that out. But uh, so the space itself is inherently cinematic. We, uh, we then, uh, and touchstones for me was um, Misery and of course Bong's brilliant parasite where so much of that is set in that extraordinary architectural space and and how incredibly cinematic he makes that one space uh, he uses it to trap tension and 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 cinematic energy uh, and and i tried to take my inspiration from him particularly on, the, on that side of our photography and uh, and and staging and then there will be more specifics like that apart from the architectural beauty of the of, of the rest and there's also the choice to open up this open plan connection so that you have the the givers and the takers you have an immediate visual connection between the diners and the and the and these 15 20 cooks and this kind of military choreography so you've always got that latent kinetic threat happening in this very choreographed manner upstage in the picture perhaps slightly soft focus in the depth of field um but it's always there as a looming presence a looming threat to the diners another wall is a totally huge glass wall looking out over the ocean where where gradually we see the sunset and the darkening which puts this uh, more focused spotlight and puts the pressure down on our diners even more to crank up the tension which are then of course we are able to release with that wonderful comedy and the writing and in these brilliant performances and because of that 
Altman-esque way of shooting. You can watch this film four different times and look in different parts of the frame each time and just always find something different. That the, the cast would just give and give and give. And I would find this after eight weeks in the edit, I'd still be finding something or noticing something that was going on in the back of the frame that I'd never seen before. It, it's so rich because they're because they're giving so much. Um, all of that, you know, my primary ambition, apart from to, you know, was really to tell a really cinematic story and uh, and hopefully have some teeth to it also. Oh, you're making me want to go and see it again. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. I was lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Cheers. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before, so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. So welcome Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt to the Picture House podcast. Are you both familiar with Picture House? Yes. Yes, very much so. <laughs> Have you got a local that you go to when you're in London? My one was Hackney. Is oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't have a local one. I guess it's Central, the Piccadilly one. Oh, fantastic. And I wonder if I can ask you both to describe the setup for me from your character's perspective. So, Nicholas, you were a kind of overprivileged food groupie, if I may say. And Anya, you were a bit of a mystery and not a usual customer of Elite Chefs Stoic. So I was just wondering if I could, if you could set up from from where you were, from your perspective. Uh, yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that description. He's kind of this food groupie, been slightly brainwashed by Chef Slowick, and he's finally getting like the experience of his life, getting to go to this restaurant, um, and uh, and he's invited Margot along to join him for this wild ride <laughs> yes and my sweet sweet margot i think she she was expecting a rather different evening uh she's not very impressed but is trying to put on a good face for tyler and as the story goes on you sort of realize that there are many different layers to the performative aspect of how she's trying to make tyler feel and I was really interested in the Altman-esque setup that Mark Mylord employed, um, having all the actors on set all the time. So how was that for you both? Was it exhausting or was it great fun to be in character? Yeah, it was It was really fun to be on character uh, on set the whole time because it was, firstly, a lot of the time when you're making films, you don't get to see a lot of the other scenes that you're not in. Yeah. So it was wonderful to get to watch all these different characters develop and all the brilliant performances that everyone was giving. And it was a really encouraging atmosphere as well. Everyone was like very supportive and would clap and be like really invested in in just telling this story together. So it was, it was wonderful. And Anya, I understand that it was there's also you're encouraged to improvise quite a lot. So when you watch the film back for you, was you you could see the scripted bits and the improvised bits, or did you feel it was quite seamless? I could only see it just in terms of giving props to my friends because there are moments where, you know, genuinely people would come up with absolutely brilliant zingers. And if they make it into the film, you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> that was such a good moment for Amy or that was such a good moment for Janet. And, you know, that's really, really fun to watch. But 
the thing that I loved most about all of us being in that room together the whole time is usually on a film you know you do your scene you go back to your trailer maybe you hang out but you don't really stay on set we all stayed on set the whole time they would yell cut or we're moving on to um another set up and we'd all just stay and hang out and enjoy each other and that was really really lovely and uh, Nicholas, you were probably the most immersed in a way in the food side of things. Like, I mean, it was incredible food, wasn't it? Yeah. Tell me about just being the character you were and being so immersed in actually responding to that amazing dishes. Well, they, they did create a, an amazing menu. Dominique Crenn worked with John Beignets um, and they came up with this delicious. How many courses was it? I don't know, five, six courses oh, of, gosh. of food that I got yeah. to eat most days so it was an absolute treat for me and also like it was such a, a performance each time mm -hmm. it was like going to the theater like with the, the all all the chefs bringing out the food in unison and placing it on the table perfectly in sync and all these little details that um just made the experience feel very very real and bizarre and and intimidating as well at the same time but yeah the food's obviously the, the star of the show it's a bit of uh quite a lot of food porn mm -hmm. And also, like the, the sort of the trickery and the humiliation that went along with it. Like Margot's character was very much observing this bizarre ritual of elite foodism. But what were your thoughts on that, Manya? Well, I think one of my favorite things about her is the fact that she's so. I've very rarely been able to play a character that is that comfortable in their own skin, and considering that she is the unexpected ingredient she is the person that is not to like that it's not for her she's not of the elite she's not supposed to be there I loved being able to sort of witness the absurdity of it and kind of call bs on it like that was that was the fun part but also again just loved watching everyone's performances that is it's so much fun you've got you know Janet McTeer right behind you just I'm trying not to laugh a lot of the time. <laughs> so I've got to finish up now, but one last question. This film is so classy and beautiful, as well as being a damn good horror. And it needs to be seen in the cinema. So you're going to go to the cinema and tell people that you're going to see it. And what is your cinematic snack going to be? I would say that this film is an appetizer. Honestly, I would say go see the film and then plan for dinner afterwards because you will be hungry and you'll really relish that food. But on the subject of, you know, a cinematic experience, I've never been in a film where so many people have independently come up to me and said, you have no idea how much fun this was to watch with an audience. Everyone is screaming and throwing popcorn at the screen and laughing and just enjoying themselves as a collective. And those are my favorite cinematic experiences. So I genuinely hope people do go and experience it with an audience because it just sounds like a good night out. Uh, that summed it up pretty perfectly. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it is, you know, that thing. I, I think the film, the wonderful thing about it is it's quite polarizing. There's people that are, are laughing hysterically at moments and then people who are shocked and completely grossed out and horrified at, at the same moment. And that's what I love about films when you watch them in the cinema is you get kind of this... Uh, joint reaction but particularly with something like this where the, the reactions aren't always going to be yeah. in sync with each other which is a really fun juxtaposition thank you both so much for joining me on the picture house podcast good luck with this fantastic thank film. you so much bye-bye <laughs>